Welcome to Create Your Own Light, where we harness our past, we embrace our future, and learn to conquer the roadblocks along the way together. I'm your host, Travis Howes. Let's get on with it. This episode is brought to you by YourWelder.com. YourWelder.com is an online directory of mobile welders. Whether at your home or at your industrial processing plant, we come to you. Our community of mobile welders can repair anything from the neighbor's mailbox that you just backed into or the cat bulldozer sitting on your job site. YourWelder.com is a directory of highly skilled professionals willing to help you on your job site on your timetable. YourWelder.com screens all of their welders using tools like photos from social media apps such as Instagram, Parler, and Facebook, even face-to-face meetups. YourWelder.com was built by actual industry welding experts who actually perform this type of work on a daily basis. And here's the best part. They're veteran-owned and operated. So go check them out at YourWelder.com. And also feel free to check them out on social media where I'll include their links in the show notes. What's something that you wish you could go back and change? What's something you wish you could do over again if we lived in a world of do-overs? You ever wonder, like, if you could go back and, 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 and turn back the hands of time? And, well, fuck, I got news for you. We can't turn back the hands of time because the clock only moves in one direction. So don't be that person that wishes they would have done something differently. Don't be the whole, oh, in hindsight, well, guess what? We don't get to live in hindsight. We only get to make the decisions that we make today, and then that's it. One and done. Make the decision and move on. Um, I guess the reason I'm talking about this is I want to talk about last times, like with with anything. Um, you never know when your last conversation with someone is going to be. You never know when you're going to experience something for the last time. You know, you may be going to work thinking, I hate this fucking job. And then all of a sudden, guess what? Today's your last day, motherfucker. And you just don't know it. And then you're going to one day look back and miss that job that you hated so much. You're going to miss that career that you wish you would have put more effort into. You're going to wish you could have done things differently. And you're going to wish all these things. And you're not going to be able to do anything except fucking wish in one hand and shit in the other and see which fills up faster. Because we can't change the past. You know, one thing I, I look back on often, and uh, I talk about this in my book, was my last, the last phone call that I could have had with my friend Louis Mulkey before he was killed. Um, you know, it, I think about that phone call pretty much every day because I'm, I don't know for certain if I was the last person Louis ever, ever, ever called, but. I like, I don't like to think, I I feel pretty certain that I am uh, because of the timeline of it. Um, Lewis, Lewis called my phone the day of the Sofa Superstore fire when nine of our guys were killed. And uh, Lewis was sent on that call just moments later. But Lewis was calling me because we were down the street from that fire at a golf tournament fucking off, but me and a bunch of firemen, we wrecked a golf cart. And I knew why Lewis was calling me. Word had already gotten back to Lewis that we wrecked this golf cart and that we totaled it and uh, we were all drunk as shit. Not one of my proudest moments. Um, 
And I knew he was calling to bust my balls about it. And I didn't really want to entertain getting my balls busted because Lewis was a ball-breaking machine. And I looked at the uh, the phone when it was when it was coming in. I saw his name pop up, Lewis Mulkey. And I go, you know what? I'll get to it later. And I hit decline the call or I silenced it. And it went to my voicemail. And Lewis left me a voicemail and he left me a blistering voicemail. And uh, I remember listening to it that day because I was on the way to the fire when I when I listened to the voicemail, I was listening to it when I was en route to that fire because I was off duty. But we uh, we all heard about the Sofa Superstore fire and we heard that um, it was getting pretty bad. So a lot of us started heading that way. And um, I listened to his voicemail on the way there, not knowing that I'd never talked to him again. And I, and I deleted that voicemail. And that's one of the things that that haunts me, man, is I wish I still had that voicemail because hearing his voice hearing him bust my balls is uh it'd be a beautiful thing to be able to listen to it you know whenever i wanted to and i think about the day that that comes when i won't be able to hear my father's voice or my mother's voice and i I always see posts about people they're posting like i wish i could just call my dad one last time and i wish i could call my mom one last time and i and i take for granted i I can pick up the phone right now and call my father. I can pick up the phone right now and call my mother. But one day, we're not going to be able to do that. Um, we we just we take it for granted. And so I ask you, like, what's something in your life that you wish you could have back? What's a moment you wish you could have back? What's uh, what's that one thing in your life where if you could go back in time and just spend a little bit more time? in that situation or with that someone, what would that be? Um, I don't ever want to second guess and I don't ever want to be at a place in life where I'm living thinking, what if? That's why I try to make the most of the moments when I have them, you know, and I try to tell my parents, even, even now still, I still tell my mom and dad, I love you every time I see them, every time I talk to them. I tell my kids all the time, I never want anybody to not know how I felt about them. And I, I guess what I'm getting at is I don't I don't want to bounce a rain check, you know? You know, when we... You ever tell somebody, I'll take a rain check? I'll take a rain check? Well, how do you know you're going to be able to cash that motherfucker? I guess that's what I'm getting at. Do you have uncashed rain checks do you have rain checks that are just stacked up that you'll never be able to cash and think about that moving forward think about that in life like let's go ahead and start cashing in some of them rain checks man pick up the phone let's pick up the phone and call somebody we're supposed to call or we should have called a long time ago that we never got around to because you know what let's just be honest they weren't a priority at the time and uh our own our own needs get in the way and our own lives get in the way and we just take rain checks. And I was I was big on that in the past. Just rain check, rain check. And I, I'm not doing any more fucking rain checks. Can't do it. I can't live my life that way. Because one day, that's all we're going to be doing. Is we're going to be bouncing rain checks left and right. I was fortunate enough to know my dad's dad. And I knew him for many years. He passed away when I was 22. I believe yeah, I was 22. But one thing I wish that, granted, here's the hindsight thing. I wish 
I wish I could go back and have the conversations with him about everything that I want to know about him now. Now, see, when I was young, I just took it for granted that he'd always be around. And I wasn't interested in the things that interest me now. And I can't change that. But now, as an older guy, I want to know who he was, where he came from, more about why, what made him tick the way that he ticked. Because my grandfather and I were so similar. Our experiences were a little bit different. But we were... Our, our mannerisms and, and how we went through life were very similar. And I want to know all these things about him that I'll never get to know. And when I was a young man, I guess I didn't know that all these things were going to happen to me. So maybe that's why it didn't interest me. But if I could turn back the hands of time, that's where I would start. I think I would start with a conversation with both of my grandfathers, actually. My mother's father, who was um, he was shot after the Normandy invasion, he was shot in Holland, and that's why we named our, our oldest daughter Holland. Um, and I'd love to sit and talk with him too, you know, because they both had different experiences. But I don't ever want to be in a position to where I can't go back uh, looking forward, where I'm not going to say, you know, I'm going to put, let's put that off until, for another day, because we don't know, we don't know when that next day is going to come. We don't know if we're ever going to get that. So I guess in a long convoluted way here I'm trying to get to a point is do the fucking things you want to do talk to the people you want to talk to have the conversations you want to have because you know as well as I do that may not come looking back at my past there's one thing that I do want to bring back and that's uh I was sitting down thinking about this last night when I was younger and in my 30s I had a uh I had a bank card and um, when they when they asked me at the bank what kind of card I wanted, I said, well, what do you have? And I was going to make it complicated. And this lady, she throws this brochure open. <laughs> she goes, well, surely you don't want the Hello Kitty card. And I stopped her right then. I said, you, you have no fucking clue who you're talking to, woman. I want the Hello Kitty card. I didn't even know that was an option. So check this out. I had... For many years, I carried a Hello Kitty debit card in my in my wallet, and I forgot all about this thing until last night. And you want to talk about a great conversation starter? You get a motherfucker that looks like me sitting down with a motherfucker that looks like me having dinner, and then let me whip out my card to pay. That is a hell of a conversation starter. And I guess, I guess the Hello Kitty card went away after it expired, and I just never renewed it. But I was sitting there thinking last night. I was like, you know what? I think the older I get. They're more inappropriate and more funny a Hello Kitty card would be or something of the like. So I couldn't imagine a 65-year-old me having a card like that. I think it would be even better. It just gets better with time. So I'm actually getting in touch with my bank today, and I'm going to get me a fucking Hello Kitty card or something of the like. I'm going to see what they have available, something with unicorns or just whatever, because I cannot tell you how many waitresses just were stopped in their tracks when old boy says, nah, let, let me let me pick up this check and put my hand gently on the other gentleman's hand when the check gets dropped. <laughs> oh, I'm a sucker for a good laugh. Do you guys do anything like that? Do you have anything that's like, I don't know, maybe you find it funny and it's, it's a good time, man. You got to do that. I want to tell you all about a recent experience I had um, at a cattle auction. So... I've always, I always wanted donkeys. And since my daughter, 
when my daughter was born, my oldest daughter, she's always had this little Eeyore um, donkey that her grandma gave her. And every time I see that little donkey, I fucking I think of her. Uh, we've actually lost the donkey a few times, and I think I was more panicked than anybody else. I'm like, where's little Eeyore? Where's little Eeyore? And we've had search parties out for fucking little Eeyore. And we were always able to find him, thank goodness. So what we did in the interim, we bought another little Eeyore. And we stashed his ass and we hit him just in the event the real little Eeyore came up missing. We just replaced him. Well, I think when my daughter was probably four, the real little Eeyore went MIA. Like, seriously, he went to a Cambodian camp or something. Like, he was just gone. And so we broke out the the imposter little Eeyore. And let me tell you something. That kid knew right away that that was an imposter Eeyore. And she started freaking out. She threw it down. She didn't want it. And eventually we were able to find the real Eeyore. And so we gave imposter Eeyore to her little sister. Now here's where I'm getting at. I recently went to a cattle auction because I've wanted donkeys ever since this. And I wanted miniature donkeys specifically. And I have been searching high and low for donkeys for my farm. And donkeys, if you buy them from breeders, are very, very expensive animals. Uh, The little miniature donkeys. They, um... They carry a price tag of like $3,000 a head. So if you don't want to pay that, you know, good luck. And if you go to Craigslist, the problem is you never know what you're fucking getting. You could get an asshole donkey, and the last thing you want is an asshole donkey because you'll end up kicking everybody and, and kicking all your animals and shit, and you just you don't want that. So I went to a cattle auction, all right? <laughs> and the crazy thing is there, you don't know what you're getting there either. So I took my girls, and the reason I wanted to do this is I wanted to give my kids an experience. Like, look, we may get an asshole donkey, but it's going to be an experience if we do it. So we go to this cattle auction in in South Carolina, and it's it is a lot of country ass people at this place. I love it, and they got a snack bar. We get hot dogs and shit, and it's good. So anyway, we're there. I knew that they were going to have these three little donkeys, and I saw it on their Facebook page that they were going to have them. Well, the comment section started blowing up. And I knew a lot of people were going to compete for these donkeys. So we go there. I'm in the pen with my girls looking at the donkeys. Minding our own fucking business. And this lady comes up. Barges into the stall where the donkeys were. Starts grabbing the donkeys. Doing uh, genitalia checks. Trying to see who's a male, who's a female. Starts grabbing their mouths. Opening them up. Looking at their teeth. Then starts making comments. She's like, this one's sick. This one, blah, 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 blah. And like brushing us off to the side. Being very fucking rude. She had her husband with her. And my daughter looks up, my, my seven-year-old daughter, the woman was being um, so, so like um, hands-on and pushy that my daughter at seven thought that these were her donkeys. These were this lady's donkeys and she was getting ready to sell them. So my daughter asked, ma'am, are these your donkeys? And the lady looks over at hers and goes, they're about to be. And then looks at her husband and goes, buy all three of them, right? And I'm sitting there like, oh, no, this bitch didn't because... I brought my kids here to get these donkeys and you ain't just going to muscle your way in. Now I'm like, bitch, I will take out a fourth fucking mortgage on the house to get these donkeys just so you don't get them. You greedy motherfucker. And it was because of the way that she was being that I was like, it's not happening. So look at, so she was all kind of, they went back outside. They had this hundred, several hundred thousand dollar uh, cattle trailer. They were pulling that it was like a live in trailer. Me, I'm up there looking like white trash. She just assumed that like I was just somebody that picks up donkey shit at its stall or something. I mean, she just she treated you could tell she treated people that um like me 
differently. And so I'm all, I'm all looking like shit. And I was like, all right, you about to find out the day woman. <laughs> so we get into the auction room y'all and the bids start at $200 and I'm just sitting there minding my business. Cause I'm trying to see where the bids are going to start falling flat. And that's where I was going to jump in. And, and the bids got to about 500, 510. They started falling flat and they were about to call a winner. So I jumped in and I ran it up to 600 right then. I was like 600. And then, um, the lady that was going to bid them looks over and she goes 610. She's the, the auctioneer's like 610. So he took 610, looked back at me and goes 620. I said 700. I was like, fuck this. I'm not playing this, this $10 game with y'all. And I look over at this woman and she's like, she told, she shook her head. No, she didn't want no more. And then the lady in front of me went up to uh seven or she was like 620, 630. So I went ahead, went up to 700. Anyway, long story short, I went up to $800 on this fucking donkey, on this on this little Jenny, this girl donkey. And the auctioneer goes, sir, you in the back with the black sheep hat on, you in. And uh, he goes, which one do you want? Because there were two two little females. And I go, shit, I'll take either one. You take your pick. And he goes, you want both? And I said, yeah, I'll take both. He goes, you want the other one for $800 too? He was just, he was just kidding. And I go, and I looked over at that lady. I said, yeah, I'll do both for, for $800. So he said, sold 1600 You could hear the fucking wind get sucked out of this place because nobody pays $800 for a donkey at an auction, right? Well, then they bring out the little boy. They start that shit at 200 and I went 500 and I went straight up to 500 And then everybody was just out. They said, fuck it, because this guy's going to do the same thing. Well, the lady gets pissed. She ends up walking out of the auction, wouldn't talk to anybody. Turns out the people at the auction know that lady. She's a big, she's a huge bitch. She actually, I watched her call these two Mexican guys that sat down in front of her. Um, she called them stupid motherfuckers. I actually heard her say it, saw her say it. They knew she said it, never said anything. This was before the auction started. So I knew what I was getting at is I'm getting these fucking donkeys today and I'm not letting this, this woman take them home because these are going to be pasture pets. I go outside, this country ass motherfucker walks up to me and goes, Man, you know you overpaid for them donkeys. And I looked at him. I said, really? I said, I don't give a shit. I was like, these are pets for my girls. I was like, these aren't, I'm not buying these to flip them. I'm not buying these to to make more donkeys. I said, this isn't a business investment for me, motherfucker. Like, people stay out of my fucking business. But I bet you we got them goddamn donkeys. So now we got these donkeys on. We got one boy donkey, two girl donkeys, and two horses. I named the donkeys, as you could imagine. I named the boy Little Eeyore. And then we got Daisy. And then we got Dixie. So those are our donkeys. And then King and Nugget are our horses. So I don't know why y'all need to know that. But I felt that I needed to tell that story. Because that shit's been on my chest. That fucking woman. Hey. I had a conversation with firefighter yesterday in New Hampshire. And this firefighter was talking about leadership. And this firefighter was talking about. It was a female firefighter. And she was saying how. Um. Guys are doing a better job at opening up and how she feels like they, they're starting to feel comfortable because she feels like, because she is a female, but she said the hard part was, and we talked about this in episode, I want to think, say it was 10, um, female responders with PTSD, that episode. She said it was hard for her initially because she had to prove herself. And, you know, as a female coming into the uh, emergency services, I can certainly see that. And then we, we had this, we had a great conversation and she said that, uh, she definitely had to prove herself. And when she came into the firehouse, you know, guys are like, Oh fuck, what can we get away with? What can we do? Can we be ourselves in this, you know, with this woman around and all this. And I told her, I said, I never really had to experience that. We had, 
Um, one woman, when I was in the business on on the job, she was in a different station. I worked with her one time. That was it. So I didn't I didn't have to deal with that. And you can go back and listen to everything I have to say about all of that in episode ten. Here's what I want to get to. The conversation this lady and I had this this female firefighter was this. I never had to prove myself. My, I was validated by my background alone, right? The, the titles in my background validated me instantly. So I never had to go through that proving process. So I was a Marine. I was a police officer. Um, and even when I was a police officer, I was already a firefighter before that. I was a Marine before that. So I always had those titles to back it up that nobody ever questioned. They just didn't do it. So it made me think from a different perspective again. These females are really making me think in this business. I was like, man, fuck, I never had to prove myself. It was expected of me to be a hard ass, to be a badass at any time like the bells ring. But I didn't have to prove anything. I showed up to work and I did my fucking job. And we kept on going uh, with the mental health discussion. And her question was, uh, she had a really good question. She asked, where do those in leadership roles when they have problems, where do the leaders go? Who do they get help from? And she she was saying like boots on the ground, like guys that are not necessarily high up in the chain or girls necessarily high up in the chain. It's starting to be okay for them to go get help. But the leaders, she said, where do they go? How do they, um, how do they get the help? And it made me think for a second. I was like, well, fuck. I've been asked that multiple times now and it's starting to click. It's starting to click like, hey, chief officers, um, captains even, lieutenants, we're expected to be able to lead people, but in the same breath, is it okay if we're not okay? Um, and, and my answer to that is yes. Because my answer to her was simple. I was like, look, this job, it's perfectly normal to be fucked up from this job. And that's from the top down and the bottom up. And it should be perfectly normal. We should view our injuries, mental health injuries, as the same as we would uh, in the line of duty injury. Whether if a ceiling collapses on you as a firefighter or you get shot as a police officer. An injury is an injury. And if we suffer a mental health injury, why is that any less significant than a, a different injury? Because you can't see it, that's why. And people start to have questions on whether... You're mentally capable of doing this job. Well, we all know there's people on this job that are physically not capable of doing the job, but they're still on the fucking job, and it's acceptable for them to be on the fucking job, even though they're physically not capable of doing the fucking job. So why is it okay for people that cannot physically do the job to still be on the job and be in leadership positions, mind you, but it's not acceptable if somebody gets a few screws get loose in their head because of this fucking job, because of this profession, why is that not okay that they go get those screws tightened up? And I talk about this in my class, post-traumatic purpose. This is the very shit that I teach about and I talk about passionately. I'm not going to teach you a course in this podcast because this is more of a bullshit forum here where we kind of just talk about things. But it's like leaders should be able to go get the same help that the subordinates go get. But from a leadership standpoint, 
the problem is, is the mentality, is our culture, right? We try so hard to take care of everybody else. We're constantly giving. We're giving ourselves and we're, we're taking care of other people. And the number one person that we neglect is ourselves. And we think we're too strong for that. Or if my people see me weak, they will not have confidence in me. And I'm going to tell you one of the strongest things I ever saw when I was teaching a class was a battalion chief stand up right in front of his entire department, not the entire department, but a good, a good portion of his shift. And he stood up and he spoke about the treatment that he was getting. And you could see people in that, in that room. They were like, Holy fuck. And I've talked about this before and it moved people. And I honestly think that's one of the strongest things a leader can do is be vulnerable is stand up and show that it's okay. Even at my level, it's okay because I go get help and you can actually, by doing that, that will encourage others to get help. We will, we're making progress with mental wellness, but I'm going to tell you where it needs to be. The pinnacle is going to be when it is perfectly acceptable for everybody at every level in the emergency services to openly talk about mental wellness to where they don't feel ashamed of it, to where they can openly admit that, Hey, this job changes you. And it affects the way that we, we think. It affects the way that we behave. It affects our, our rationality. Think about how many cops out there, man, get scrutinized for the decisions that they make. And would those decisions have been any different if they were just getting the help that they need, that they deserved? And why weren't they getting the help? Because guess what? Fear of repercussion. Fear of getting their badge pulled. Fear of being put on desk duty. So what do they do? They fucking bottle it up. They keep it all inside. And then they go back to the streets. And where shit is eating them alive. And then they overreact to a situation they shouldn't re overreact to. And now everybody has a fucking opinion about why they reacted the way they would have. Well, quite possibly. Yeah. Monday morning, Monday morning quarterback, if you want motherfucker, but put yourself in that motherfucker's shoes, put yourself living that motherfucker's day-to-day life where he can't get away from the job because he's fucking one. He ain't getting paid shit. And on his off duties on his, on his off days, he's got to work over fucking time to pay the fucking bills at his house to take care of his family. And he still can't get away from that goddamn place. And then family stress on top of that. I mean, I'm just going to keep going back down a road. We've already been down, but then years into this thing, he just snaps and he breaks and he makes a decision. He's tired of fucking bullshit and he does something he probably shouldn't do. Yeah. But it all could have been prevented. It all could have been prevented with a little bit of mental therapy. And that's just, no different than a broken leg sustained on the job from tra- chasing a fucking criminal through through a neighborhood, you know? You wouldn't break your fucking leg and then just go right to work. You know, you'd go you'd go to the doctor and you'd, you'd get that shit worked on. And you'd, I guess what you would do? You'd actually go to physical fucking therapy if it required it. So we need to go to mental wellness, physical therapy, in a sense. And that doesn't mean you got you have to go to a fucking doctor and lay up and put your feet on a couch and, and hold some roses in your hand. That can be as simple as sitting down with your crew at a fire station and, and or in with your crew in a squad room at a police station and just talking about it and just, just open up, you know, leadership doesn't have to be stripes on a sleeve or bugles on a collar. Leadership can be the probationary firefighter or, or the rookie police officer standing up in a squad room and saying, Hey, this happened to me. This is this is kind of how it made me feel. And this is kind of what I'm doing 
to uh, to handle the situation, and I appreciate the support. When our own start doing that and stop worrying about the repercussions of what's going to happen if they're open about this stuff, things will start changing. What what that does is it would encourage other people to 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 speak out. Like we're we're in a time that's completely different now. People start doing this and just just realize like, hey, being a little bit vulnerable is not going to kill us. Nothing's going to happen. I mean, what are they going to do? Because it ain't like it used to be. You do that shit 10 years ago, different fucking story. Different. Nobody's going to want to work with you. I'm telling you, everybody realizes now that this mental health thing is no joke. It's fucking killing people left and right. Um, You're probably going to have some other people open up. And I always, you know, we always get that question afterwards. They're like, well, where do we start? How do we help out? And I'm like, fucking, you, you, you become the resource. Be the resource. Stand up. You don't have to give gory details, but you can, it's okay to stand up and say, Hey, sit down at the kitchen table at your firehouse and say, Hey, look guys, um, look, we remember, y'all remember that call we went on a while back and yeah, well, how, how's everybody doing from that? And they may look at you sideways and be like, Hey, look, I'm going to tell you shit's bothering me. And I have problems with this, this, um, I've probably been drinking a little too much because of it. I think about it nonstop. Nobody, nobody's going to disown you for that anymore. Back in the day, they would have disowned your fucking ass quickly, but now it's not going to happen. I think if anything, you're going to help more people. And that's why I encourage people in this business, stand up and start, start talking, stand up and start helping one another with this because we don't have enough people doing that. I can't be in every fire station, every squad room across the country, but you can, you know, you're there. Sit down and talk to your people. Nobody will listen to you like your own people. I remember when uh, when we had our fire that killed our nine guys, and the fire department back then there were there was no peer support program in place. There was just nothing like that. Well, I mean, not with our department anyway. Um, we didn't have that, and immediately they realized, hey, some dudes are going to be fucked up, and they threw some counselors at us, and they came by the fire station, and I remember nobody talking to them and we actually looked at them like with this whole get the fuck out of our firehouse look we don't want to talk about that with somebody that didn't relate we just did not want to do it um but what they did do is they allowed some worcester firefighters and some fdny guys to come down and when they came down guess what happened magical things they didn't come down and sit at our tables and say, all right, tell us what happened. It wasn't like that. They came in, they sat down, they broke bread with us. And before we knew it, we're all sitting around a circle crying together and talking about tough guy shit and talking about our similar experiences. See, we experienced something that was very similar. We understood these guys sitting across from us because they've been there. They went through the same thing. They get it. They know what it's like. There was that relatability. And nobody felt bad for it afterwards. You know, um, I remember sitting in Engine 11's day room. We had to go down to Engine 11 after our event, and some FDNY guys were there. And um, they just kind of started openly talking about their stuff and, and letting us know and letting us see that, hey, it's, it's, it's all right. And I started talking about being on the body recovery team of our guys and how it was affecting me, and I broke down and started crying.
And I, you know the crazy thing? <laughs> this is how this is how that tough guy shit was. I was so embarrassed by it, even though I realized it was okay, that I felt guilty for it. I actually felt guilty for crying, and I felt guilty because I I I felt like something happened and I'd become weak. And I felt like I wasn't fit for this job anymore because of the way that I was raised in this culture. And I felt like I was now a pussy. And I felt like the guys that saw me cry would think, damn, Travis broke and Travis is weak and Travis is a pussy. But that's not what happened. See, what happened was this. We had that moment with those guys and then we just went back to work and we we never talked about it again. The people that were in that room with me saw how broken I was, saw how hurt I was, and never fucking approached me one time after that. Not one fucking time, not even to this day, has ever reached out. And that's what I'm getting at. We have to take care of one another. And that's not taking care of one another. Um, You know, now, with the resources that we have available, damn, we have clinicians who are trained for responders. So that old way of thinking that I had at that time, hey, don't go talk to these clinicians. Actually, clinicians are the best thing that it, that it has ever happened. That I can't even get my words right. The clinicians are the best things that ever happened with this business. They now have these trained professionals who get to see it through a different lens, who get to understand it differently, who they understand the chemistry of it, the psychology of it. It's actually kind of cool if you think about it. And if you are... Um, not so jaded towards them. See, I was very jaded towards them, but now I can see it differently. And it's nice to go in and sit and talk with them because they understand it from not the caveman perspective. Like I I understood it. So where I once didn't like clinicians, I now I'm in, I'm in full support of them. Um, and I actually train clinicians around the country and I actually, um, (laughs) I tell them the horrors of how it is with us and how, you know, so many of us in this business will go and we'll find, I got a question the other day, what happens when you find the wrong clinician? Well, guess what? When you know, you know, go find a fucking new one. Every one of them is not going to be a perfect fit. I got lucky with mine, but I've heard some horror stories about other people and not all clinicians are cut out for the job. Just like all police officers and all firefighters are not cut off, cut out for the job. Just because you pass the fucking test doesn't mean you need to be there. I mean, Let's face it. Truth is truth. A leadership conversation with that um, firefighter from New Hampshire led to a question that kind of stumped me. Um, She said, well, other than your therapist, who do you talk to? And how do you how do you deal with everything that gets scraped onto your plate? And I didn't have an answer. Uh, I thought about it. And I was like, you know, people scrape shit onto my plate all the times and all the time. And I scrape it off by dealing with it, handling it. And before I know it, my plate's full again and, and more people are scraping stuff onto my plate. And, and, and she asked, she said, well, if you don't have anybody to talk to, like other than your therapist, I do scheduled therapy appointments. You can't do it every day. You know, you, sometimes you have to wait weeks. Um, I said, I just kind of handle it, man. And I I go to my farm and I I have a place where I just decompress and it made me think it's like, fuck man. I, even me, even to this day, I probably need somebody else 
that I can confide in. And I'm not, so I'm not asking for volunteers on this podcast. That's not what I'm doing, right? I'm telling you about a conversation that took place and I'm telling you to kind of open up your, 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 your brain housing group and think about this for a second is even if you're the one who's helping people, you need more things in place to help yourself. See, I thought I had it all in place. I thought I got a therapist in place. I got a place where I can decompress, but I never thought about it. Well, what happens when, when I do need that somebody to talk to and I just can't, what happens at 10 o'clock in the middle of the night when, when I, the guy who's such an advocate for this stuff, when I need to talk to somebody and I've realized, man, fuck, I don't, I don't have that because I'm so busy trying to accommodate everybody else. And it was a great conversation because it just made me realize so much. So think about that from your, your standpoint too. Like you may be in a position, you may be a leader in a position that has to help other people and fuck, you need some answers sometimes, or sometimes you just need to offload some of that stress and you need to, you need to be able to offload some of those thoughts that are going through your mind on somebody. And the peer support question came up again with her. She said, well, how does a person like me who's in a peer support um, position, how do I, as a peer support member, talk to somebody else without fear of that coming back on me? And, and what she was essentially saying was stuff we talked about in episodes previously where if you confide in the wrong person, that could bite you in the ass later if you're on the same department because that person that you confide in, told all your secrets to and all this stuff, they may be in a position of uh, promotional power later and they may hold that against you when it's time to promote. They're not going to openly say it, but they're fucking damn right. You know that's going to hold you back. So that's why a lot of people don't open up. So I think we all need to, outside of our individual peer programs, we also need to have somebody else that we can confide in. Um, so it doesn't necessarily have to be just one person. I think we can have multiple outlets and that's something I've never openly said because honestly, I never thought about it that way, but I think it's very important. So leaders, this question's for you. Those of you that are in leadership positions in your, in your perspective, perspective, uh, departments, industries, whatever, um, what tools do you have in place to help yourself? Not, not everybody else now. You, specifically you, what are you doing to take care of you? Um, do you have the right resources available to yourself or the same resources available to you that are that, that apply to those who fall underneath your leadership, I, I should say? And if, if those same resources are not available to you, we need to start asking some serious questions. Um, why? Why not? And are you taking advantage of those resources? And what do they say? Lead by example, motherfucker. Um, step up and do what you got to do because you can't help anybody underneath you if you're not right. That's just the truth. Hope this episode helped. Thank y'all for the support. Y'all go kick some ass this week. I love y'all.